you know, at the beginning of this book, we, we hear Solomon, the king of Israel, who's writing the book to the Israelites say, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. Everything is a vapor that we try to grasp, but we can't. And he says, even time, and that's what all of this passage is about, is time, how we pass the time, how we use our time, what is the meaning even of time and how it just marches on whether you like it or not. I'm not sure about anyone else, but I think that having Liam and Ellie has made that march feel much more acute uh, for Jess and I. Maybe I'll just speak for myself. It certainly felt, I felt myself aging as I watched two children growing. And I'm assuming that's just a a thing that every generation experiences. And uh, just the, the movement from generation to generation is already something that Solomon has pointed us to in Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Uh, Solomon talks about the generations, how, how the, the passage of one generation to another uh, essentially means that there's just so many generations that people don't remember past generations and the the passage of time makes actually the the generations themselves even meaningless or vapors in a sense today uh ecclesiastes and solomon makes a a bit of a different type of claim and this is probably the most famous verse in all of Ecclesiastes. This is the one that even if you have never read Ecclesiastes, you've probably heard this verse because it's been popularized in songs and poetry and movies and television. But oftentimes we read it and we get it totally wrong. We read it as trying to describe the season that we're in and we want to use it to say, oh, we're in a season of of. Uh, birth or a season of dying or a season of planting or, or uprooting we're in a season of tearing down or a season of building up and that is not the point of this passage so if you've ever read this passage if that was your experience even just reading it now of thinking about okay what season am i in exactly based on what this passage is saying that is not the point of the passage i want you to put those thoughts off to the side before we even go through it again because the point of all of this passage, just like all of, the, uh, of Ecclesiastes, is to point out that life under the sun, or as this passage today points out, life under the heavens, all the activity under the heavens, if all of that activity under the heavens is all there is to our lives, then life is just a vapor, and why do we care? Because everyone goes through the same seasons, the same type of experiences. We are all born the same way, and we all enter death the same way. If this is all there is, if this is all there is, there is no meaning to life itself. But if there is more, then life begins to burst with meaning and purpose in ways that oftentimes we don't pay attention to, or maybe that we ignore. And so this, this passage is actually starting a, uh, asking a, a number of questions about our, our, the human longing for meaning and purpose. And Solomon wants us to read passages like this 
and see that this longing for meaning and purpose is actually a longing for God. That our longing for meaning and purpose in life, our, our longing for the seasons of life to mean something and for our lives to mean something is in fact a longing for God and for us in our spirits to know God and who God is. And through that knowledge of God um, is where our meaning actually comes from and life's meaning uh, comes from. Because that's, and that's because the life of heaven transcends life under the sun. It is above it in some sense. So if this is all of what life is, if, if just what we experience right now today is all life is, time itself, this passage is saying, is meaningless. Not just work and pleasure and riches and power as other passages have described already, but just time itself. And by the way, our language, the language that we use day to day, betrays the fact that we often think of time in this way. We often think of time as being essentially meaningless or a vapor that we can't grasp. We say things like, where did the time go? Or if there were only a few more hours in this day, if I only had just a few more hours to do what I wanted to do, then I could do it. Did you invest your time wisely? Or wow, that flew by quickly. These are all phrases related to time that describe its, its vaporness for us. But if time is not all there is, if there is an eternity that we get to experience and be a part of with God, then how we pass our time now matters immensely because it will stretch into eternity. So that's the, this is this is where Ecclesiastes is pushing us towards really to, towards wrestling with. It starts out with uh, with this poem, um, and I'd like to make a note about the structure of this poem because we might even get the structure wrong and then totally misunderstand what this poem's about. The structure of this poem is called a mirrorism. It's a poetic device that takes. Uh, two extremes and tries to use those extremes to paint a picture. And so when it talks about, let's use the first example, there's a time to be born and a time to die. In, in the, in the, in this, with this poetic device, it's providing those extremes, but it doesn't just want you to pay attention to the extremes. It wants you to think about everything that comes between them. And so just even with this opening uh, line in verse two, there's a time to be born and time to die. Everything else that, he, that Solomon says after that line actually is, is assumed within that line. It all happens between birth and death. Uh, other parts of scripture use the same type of poetic uh, structure to talk about the heavens and the earth which is all of creation is what it's describing. Uh, and there are, I think we can think up different examples and maybe you can think of them as you're listening and you can type them into the chat for others to see if we're, if you're watching at 10, 15. Um, 
or comment on the video if the commenting is is working how how you might see this uh, this type of mirrorism work itself out taking extremes but wanting the full meaning between the extremes to be understood in there as well so as we read through it this is what we're trying to this is what solomon really wants us to focus in on is not the extremes but everything in between them as well here's an example maybe we can talk about people who are extremely tall we can say well all people could be extremely tall and extremely short and those are the extremes but obviously there is more than just that so we can say all people can be different heights they can be extremely tall extremely short but then you start to imagine not just the extremes but all the other people between the extremes or as i like to call them the normals these mirrorisms describe all of life all of life and so let's take a look at some of them uh, to see them describing all of life and we've already seen the first to there's a time to be born and a time to die and interestingly i think actually another way of translating the hebrew is to is is to say there is a time to give birth and a time to die which further connects this verse to the previous discussions about generations and it's it's connecting it to this passage of time from generation to generation So there's a time to be born, a time to die, and between those is all of life. And so what makes up all of that life? Well, this is a, an agrarian culture that Solomon is a part of. So the imagery that he uses is agrarian or farming type of uh, uh, language and imagery. And we see it right away. There's a time to plant and a time to uproot. There's a time to plant the crops. There's a time to, to uproot them. But between those two, there's also all the tending that happens between planting and uprooting. In verse 3, there's a time to kill and a time to heal. And if you're reading this passage and thinking, oh, that might that gives me uh, uh, permission to murder. That's like, that is not what it's talking about. Again, agrarian culture, a time to kill and a time to heal is likely referring to to farm animals there's a time where you have to kill that that cow or that animal but there's a time where maybe you don't have to kill it you can just just heal it and bring it back towards health but between those times there is tending to those animals to make sure that they stay healthy you're caring for them there's a time to tear things down and a time to build and between tearing down and building you live in that thing one of the commentators that I read this week about this passage said that the houses of previous generations poured their hearts and their money into buildings that are always eventually condemned torn down and cleared for something else to be there it's just the passage of time there's a time to tear down a time to build up and between those you live in them praising God for every moment. There's a time to weep and a time to laugh. There's a time to mourn and a time to dance. This one's really interesting. There's a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. And you might think, what is that about? Uh, scattering stones in fields 
was a was a an activity of war in ancient Israel. So that it's it's uh, it's related to war and peace, which comes later as well. But you can just imagine if you scattered stones in in um, if you scattered boulders through farmers' fields, let's say right now, it would ruin the machinery. They wouldn't be able to farm. Even more so if you have to if you have to do all that work yourself. So there's a, there's a time to scatter the stones and there's a time to actually gather the stones up to ensure that, that crops are able to grow again. If you want an example of this in scripture, in 2 Kings chapter 3, verses 19 and 25, it talks about just this as a war activity. And there are others. There's a time to keep and a time to throw away. I've certainly felt that with books, as you can see. <laughs> this is um, this is just half the library in our kitchen, <laughs> and uh, and constantly going through and saying, okay, which of these do we actually not need? Because we're, either we've we've never read them or we're not going to read them. There's a time to gather them, but there's also a time to get rid of them. There's a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Even when we think that peace will last between nations, time has constantly proven that war is just around the corner, whether we like it or not. But just around the corner of war comes peace again. And this is the this is this is how time passes us by. So even just with all of these, where is Solomon leading us? Where, where is he trying to pull us? And he restates the issue and, and, and what he's getting at in the verses directly after the poem in verse 9 and 10. He, 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 he says, What do workers gain from their toil through all of this time, the passage of time and how it, how it goes through these cycles? What do workers gain from their toil? He says, I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. Our sin in the garden has taken all of these things, all of these experiences of life, and has turned them into an extreme burden for us, so that uh, that we don't we don't get to sit in these times of of planting or these times of uprooting. We don't get to sit in times of laughter or dancing. We don't get to sit in the experience, uh, the full experience of life that God intends for us. Instead, we have to have an experience that is marred by sin and destruction because of the, because of the fall of humanity. So he's restating the issue. What's the point of life? What's the meaning of life in a world that is filled with turmoil if this is all there is, if, the, if that life of turmoil is all there is. And he's trying to get us to a point where we realize that this life is not all there is. That this life is bigger than our very limited subjective experiences. He's trying to help us see that everyone experiences a similar flow to life. And we'll end up in the same place. And in that sense, life is a burden and all the more because of our sin. But there's something just underneath the surface of that 
that we need to pay attention to and he, tr and he tries to pull it out so that we can understand it in verse 11. He says, God has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. That each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all of their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken away. God does it so that people will fear him. Whatever is has already been, pardon me, whatever is has already been better. And what will be has been before and God will call the past to account. He says, you know, we have an ingrained longing for eternity. God has set eternity into the human heart. Probably, uh, again, another really famous line from Ecclesiastes. But he goes on. He doesn't leave it there. He says, I've put eternity in your heart, but you can't even understand what that eternity is or looks like. No one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. And so he's saying that even in the midst of all of this uh, turmoil-filled life, of the, the hardship and the curse of daily experience that we may have, we still have this ingrained feeling of eternity that we want to grasp hold of. Even if we don't believe in God, people constantly search for eternity. And that's because God has placed it in us to search for. And it brings up a question, what is that all about? And God says, you know, you're not going to understand the depths of what eternity even means. Um, And that's okay. Because as the passage begins to point towards, eternity isn't just something that we can think of as a concept related to time. But if eternity doesn't exist, and this is all there is, Solomon says, you know, it's best to live uh, as happy and to do good because then at least the toil is bearable. But you know what? I don't think God wants life to be just bearable. I don't think God wants your life to be just bearable day to day. Instead, Solomon points us to something much more deeper. He says, life, this life of toil, even if it's toil, is a gift from God. And to experience happiness and to do good is a gift from God. And all of these extremes within the passage of time are all gifts from God. All of life, every bit of it, is a gift. 
And that should recalibrate how we think about life and how we experience life. Jesus says he, had, he came to give life to the full or give life abundantly, abundant life, eternal life, Zoe life, how, is how the, the Gospel of John describes it. And the starting point of experiencing that abundant life is accepting life and its seasons as a gift from God, including all of the extremes in that passage of time. And it's by accepting life as a gift, we're able to live with contentment. And through contentment, our life is filled, not just with happiness, which is fleeting, but with joy. And it frees us to be able to do all the good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do and orients us better towards eternity. You know, we can't understand eternity, but we, we can live our lives facing it, orienting our lives towards it. And that's because facing God and being in relationship with God is to face eternity. And so if you're in relationship with Jesus, if you're in relationship with God, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit and orienting yourself towards eternity and living now as though that eternity is breaking into your life by God's Spirit and by God's grace, well, that is to, that is to live with a kind of freedom to be joy-filled and do good works that, that uh, Solomon is trying to get us to understand. And this is why he goes on to talk about the fear of God. God does all of these things. He, he says, I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it, nothing taken from it, and God does it so that people will fear him. When, when scripture talks about the fear of God, it's not talking about something that's negative. It's talking about reverence and respect and awe of who God is and what God has done. It's, a, it's an immensely positive thing. And this is really what the fear of God is all about, is orienting our life in relation to who God is. And by doing that, we are orienting ourselves towards eternity. And we are told in this passage that eternity isn't just about the future. It's about all of time. Everything that has come and everything that will come is all, is all measured in this phrase, eternity. It's all of time. And God, we are told, will call the past into account. Everything we've said and done and will do. And so here's the challenge for us today based on this passage. To live a life in the knowledge that, well, in this knowledge that, that, that we are living in eternity now and and that God will call the past into account within our lifetimes in eternity and so we get the opportunity to orient ourselves towards God in every moment of every day and to use all of the time that we have to glorify God and to uh, 
to share his grace and goodness and compassion and love with other people in our lives. We get to, we get to live like that. When we, when we choose to follow Jesus, it's a choice to live now as people of eternity. The starting point is to say, I am going to live in a way that will glorify God, my Father. I will live according to the ways that he has said he designed humans to live. But then, we also know that we have to give an account. So we live life today knowing that and allowing that to shape our consciences towards being people who glorify God in all that we do. But then we can rest in the knowledge that through every season of life that is described in this passage, especially through every season, God is still sovereign. And this passage has reminded us in verse 11 that God has made everything beautiful in its time and that he will work out all things uh, to be beautiful by his grace for your good and the good of those who love him. And so live your lives this week in this knowledge, going out to glorify God, knowing that you will have to give an account, but resting in the knowledge that God is sovereign, no matter what may come your way in the days and the weeks ahead, and that God will indeed work all things out to be beautiful by his grace for our good and the good of those who love him. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for this reminder of seasons for every activity under the sun. Whatever part of season that we find ourselves in today, Father, I pray that you would be with us and that you would be reminding us that you are making all things beautiful in its time. And I thank you, Father, that you have set eternity into human hearts. And Father, I pray that that longing for eternity, that longing for meaning and purpose, would draw us and those around us towards relationship and deeper relationship with you. Give us the opportunity, maybe, Father, to help those around us see how their longing for eternity can be met in relationship with you. And Father, this week I pray that you would help us to live as people who are empowered by your grace, who are empowered by, by, by your spirit at work in us to live lives that glorify you, that live lives that we can uh, approach you and say we did all things for your glory and we can stand before you in that as we give an account for the life that we have led. And Father, give us peace in the knowledge that you are still sovereign over this world and over history, over eternity. And we thank you that that is true.
So be with us as in the rest of this week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.